Our scripture this morning comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. It's found there in the, in the Pew Bibles there in front of you on page 696. Tori is coming to read our scripture for us this morning. And as always, you're invited and encouraged to follow along. We're going to be um, looking at another passage of scripture as well. And so um, I, I would encourage you to uh, take out your Bibles this morning. Again, chapter 19 of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the re region of Judea to the other side of Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except, except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but those but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs. eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The only one who can accept this should accept it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and... Make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. And now, God, hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Sex is good. At least that's what I said 20 years ago and when I first started uh, pastoring. The very first time I ever uh, preached on this topic, I was a 26-year-old brand new preacher preaching to a, a lot of, well, two different congregations full of folks uh, with, with uh, gray heads. <laughs> and uh, I was red in the face when I said it, and mouths were agape when I said it as well. And so 20 years later, and almost 25 years of marriage later, I will say it like this, sex is very good, <laughs> but confusing. I have, to, I have to admit that we live in the most sexualized culture, probably one of the most sexualized culture in all of world history. But I would also suspect that we live in one of the most confused uh, sexualized worlds in all of history. And really, um, I would say even almost repressed is, kind of, is, is, how, I would, uh, is, is how I would term it. On, on the one hand, you have, uh, you have what's going on in culture. 
it, it used to be 25 years ago that pornography was really a, a, a real small kind of side, kind of weird underground kind of thing. But now, now we, we, we carry the vehicle of pornography in our, in our, in our pockets, on our phones. And so we, we have this very sexualized culture, everything from uh, TV series, network television series, to, to, to everything that we accidentally run across on the internet with clickbait. You have that one side, that, you have that side of our culture, but then the other side of the culture is this odd mixture of puritanical ideals. If you go to Europe, at the very least, if you go to Europe, uh, they are very much more open, uh, and when I say open, I'm, I mean that. They are very much more open uh, to, uh, to, to, to different images. And, I mean, you, you, see, uh, you, you see all kinds of what we would consider inappropriate images on posters around cities, and uh, there are all kinds of, uh, I guess they're strip clubs. I'm not, I mean, it's just all kind, and it's kind of all out in the open. But the, here in the United States, those things are, are I mean, you don't, you don't do those things out in public. We do those things in private, but certainly not out in public. And so he, we are we're really, really, I think, struggling with what it means to have some sort of uh, healthy sexual ethic. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, when I first uh, preached a sermon like this 20 years ago, when I was brand new, and I have preached uh, a sermon like this uh, more, more than once, in the early days, I preached this kind of sermon in order to draw a crowd. I was trying to grow a church and trying to grow two small churches, and I wanted, I wanted folks to come out of the woodwork to see what in the world that young preacher is going to say that's going to make himself look really uncomfortable. <laughs> but I have found over the last 20 years of being a pastor that it's not, my desire is not to draw a crowd this morning. My desire is to is to speak truth into an area of our lives and into an area of the church that we have completely and absolutely failed. I'll tell you, I think one of the reasons that we are where we are as a, as a, as a contemporary culture is because we as the church, we have failed. We have failed to speak. We, we failed to speak in love. We have failed to speak truthfully as well. survey was conducted just a couple of years ago that found that 74% of high school students have had sex before graduation. 74% of high school students have had sexual intercourse before, before they have graduated. Adolescent females who are sexually active between the ages of 15 and 19 will, on average, have seven different sex partners during their lives especially for females, parents and grandparents, hear me. Hear me now. If you have a 15 to 19-year-old daughter or granddaughter, you have got to talk with them about sexual purity. Those that are sexually active between 15 and 19, again, on average, will have seven different sex, part sex partners throughout their lifetimes. The number of sex partners before marriage, by the way, is a pretty good indicator of the number of sex partners you will have after marriage. Did you get that? It's a scary, it's a scary statement. 
the number of sex partners that you have before marriage is a pretty good indicator, not always, not always, but it's a pretty good indicator of the number of sex partners you will have after marriage. 70% of college students have had sex, at least, uh, at least one sex partner in the last year, and 10% of female and 17% of male college students have had more than three sex partners in the last year. The two areas, the two population areas, lest we think that this is a teenage problem, the two population groups that have the highest rate of sexually transmitted disease in our world today are those between the ages of 20 and 24 and those over 65 years of age. The baby boomers were, uh, came up during that sexual revolution uh, and now with the advent of new medications, those in retirement centers are saying that it is running rampant. Sexually transmitted diseases and infidelity is running rampant in senior citizens centers and retirement villages. Today we're continuing our sermon series um, dealing with this thing called One Life. And what we found is that uh, we, we get one chance at this thing called life, one chance. And there are some things that we need to really get figured out. We get one shot at this thing called life. There's some things that we need to get figured out. We've looked at love. We've looked at wisdom. We've looked at the church. Um, there are a number of things that we've looked at. We looked at, at eternity last week. Today, we're looking at sex. We've got to get this thing called sex figured out. And for far too long, the church has been silent on the topic, by and large, unless and until we talk about the 3% of the population that, by the way, is probably going to split the United Methodist Church over the topic of, of, of homosexuality. Before we deal with that, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, we better get this thing figured out called heterosexual um, uh, uh, relationships before before we deal with homosexual relationships. Let me just get that out of the way. I, I know I know where I stand. I know where uh, most of First Church stands as well. We're not of one mind. We're not going to necessarily agree all on on the on the topic of homosexuality. But I'm telling you, we better deal with this thing that that affects 97 percent of the population first and foremost. When asked. When asked, what were your feelings after, uh, after you had sex? College students, female college students, were asked that question. What are the emotions that you go through after you have had a, a moment of romance with a young man? And this was, they, they surveyed not Christians. They surveyed not those in traditional areas. They, served they, they surveyed college students, and these are the responses. These female college students said they felt regret. And they felt dirty and used and guilty and empty and ashamed and alone and miserable and duped and even abused. Dear church, we must, we absolutely must speak to this, to this issue. Again, the church has far too long been silent on a, 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 a healthy view of human sexuality. 
So I come across some folks, especially those, that, especially my clergy colleagues that disagree with me on, on the topic of homosexuality, especially those that disagree with me on the topic of homosexuality. And they say that, well, Jesus never talks about sex. He never talked about sex. But I tell you, I, think, I certainly think that he did talk about human sexuality. I think our passage of Scripture today is a beautiful passage of Scripture. By the way, typically, I don't preach on this topic at all. I don't, I don't preach at least on, on this passage of Scripture because there are some words here on divorce that make me feel really, really uncomfortable because I pastor couples who have been divorced and remarried. I have family members who have been divorced and remarried. I have seen the atrocities that have occurred in marriages that are abusive, and there are times that I've even encouraged folks to get divorced. You don't need to be together. You are absolutely toxic together. For the, for the good of the children, please leave one another Please, it will, it will be such a, such, a, such a better life for the children. And so it's difficult for me to, to, to look at this passage of Scripture. So in Jesus' time, oftentimes we, uh, we, we miss what is going on here because we're not exactly sure what the Old Testament standards are of, uh, of divorce. We find them in the book of Deuteronomy. And there are some, uh, I mean, uh, there are some fairly clear statements but uh, over the centuries, what we find is that uh, those things that are fairly clear, they're wanting to get very, very clear. And so when they're wanting to get very, very clear, there are a number of different thoughts that arise when it comes to divorce. There was one rabbi, Shammai, who said that, uh, that, that a man can divorce his wife only if he found, a, uh, found her in a promiscuous situation. Only if he walked in on her in a promiscuous situation. And again, there was some debate about what a promiscuous situation might be. But Shammai said only if a man caught his wife in a promiscuous situation. That was, um, that was Rabbi Shammai. There was uh, Rabbi Hillel as well. These, by the way, these were the three main interpreters of that of that scripture in Deuteronomy. And it was Shammai, uh, uh, Rabbi Hillel, said that he permitted divorce even in a case um, when the wife burned his food. <laughs> that, was a, that was an infamous case during that time. Uh, if, 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 a wa if a woman displeased her husband at all, um, uh, Hillel said, even if a woman burned her husband's toast, he would, he would grant, uh, uh, some of you, uh, I see um, husbands nudging their wives a little bit here. Uh, he would grant divorces even for that. And then there was a third rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, said that he can divorce her for any reason whatsoever. Even if he finds a woman who he finds more attractive, he can divorce his wife and go marry that other woman. So there, there were a number of different thoughts about what this passage in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy had to say. And so they were asking Jesus, so do you agree with Rabbi Shammai? Do you agree with Rabbi Hillel? Do you agree with Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva? Let me tell you, often, almost always, when the Jewish authorities, uh, when, they, 
when they come across Jesus and they ask him to interpret an Old Testament law, almost always Jesus will um, take that Old Testament law to another level, meaning he will take it from an outward action to the, in, to the inside of the heart. And certainly he does that uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about lust. If you, uh, it's, it's not just the act of adultery. If you've ever lusted in your heart, well, then you've committed, you've committed adultery. But here in this passage of Scripture, I find, I find that, that, that Jesus becomes even more, um, can I say traditional? I mean, that, I know that's, that, that word has a lot of baggage with it. Listen to what he says. And so they ask him, is it lawful to divorce uh, one's wife for any cause? Again, are, are, you, are you with Rabbi Shammai? Are you with Rabbi Hillel? Or are you with Rabbi Akiva? And Jesus said, have you not read that the, that the one who created from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become flesh? For the, so now they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, therefore, therefore, whatever God has joined together, let no one separate. And then they said to him, then, so then why did Moses give this command that a man could divorce his wife? And he said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another commits adultery. It's a tough scene. And again, as a pastor, because I have a pastor's heart, I want to skim over this and just tell everybody, it's okay. Here's what I've found, and here's what I've, here's what I've come to the conclusion. Is divorce wrong? Jesus says it is outside of, uh, outside of uh, infidelity or um, some sort of adultery. But I also know this, that there is forgiveness. Hold on to that because we're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this. So there are a number of things that I think that Jesus, that Jesus says here about divorce. The first thing uh, that he says, he says that, that God made marriage. God makes the marriage. It is God that joins that husband and that wife together. It is, it is a, it is a, uh, it, it is uh, sanctified. It is a sanctified rite. It is a holy rite. It is a God-ordained rite, this marriage. Marriage is sanctified, to be sure. And marriage was created by God. Divorce was only permitted because of sin. It was not that way in the beginning. Jesus says. Why? Because there was no sin in the beginning. In the, and Adam and Eve, they were together forever. They were to be together forever. But because sin entered into the world, then broken relationships happen. And because of sin, then, there is divorce. The final thing that he says here is that the two will become one flesh, or flesh and whatever God has joined together, let no one separate Marriage is permanent. It's permanent. Absolutely permanent. So what does all this have to do with uh, this life of sex? Well, certainly, certainly part of our marriage life is our life of intimacy. Now, parents and grandparents, you may have sent your children out today. Let me tell you, uh, if you have not talked with your fourth grader yet about human sexuality, you better. 
my first year in my previous church in Enid, Oklahoma, my first year, there were three sixth grade girls pregnant in Enid public schools. One of them, the father, was a sixth grade boy. A hundred years ago, 150 years ago, the average onset of puberty for girls was 15 years old. Today, it is right around the age of 11. Children are becoming more sexually active at an er and I say children, children are becoming more sexually active at an earlier age. Parents, we have to talk about this with our children. We can't leave it up for them to find out in the locker room like many of us did. Uh, some of us found out about these things in, uh, in public schools as well. And, but I believe, I believe that we have something to say about it in the church as well. This gift of human sexuality, this gift of sex, is only, only makes sense within the context of marriage. Did you get that? This God-given gift of sex only makes sense in the context of marriage. If marriage is permanent, so what we find is that when you are intimate with someone, when you are sexually intimate with someone, you give away part of who you are to that person. And the two become one flesh permanently. That's how it's intended, permanently. But when we jump from one partner to the next partner to the next partner to the next partner, what we're beginning to find is that we're, living, we're leaving a piece of ourselves, we're leaving a piece of our heart with every person that we have had sexual intimacy with. And then finally, when we settle down and, and get married, then we find that we don't have a whole lot to give to our spouse because we have given our hearts away, we have given ourselves away to so many different people. God help us. God help us. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 18. Paul says this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. By the way, there were some questions there about temple prostitution. The temple prostitution was common in the, uh, in the religions of that time. Or do you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Did you get that connection? We are the very in, we are we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives inside of us. We are the I mean inside of this body dwells the Spirit. We would never take the very Spirit of God and give that spirit away and let that spirit spend a night with a prostitute. Do you hear how profane Paul puts it? Dear friends, dear friends, we must be very, very clear. In the United Methodist Church, we talk about it in these, in these uh, two different ways. First is celibacy in singleness. Celibacy in singleness. I don't care what age you are. If you are single, you are called to be celibate. 
Now, in the United Methodist Church, we talk about these things in relation to United Methodist clergy. The expectation is that our clergy would be celibate in singleness. And I will tell you, the expectation for laity and for faithful Christians is celibacy in singleness. If you are a high school student or you are a college student, hear me. Hear my plea. Please, please, please practice celibacy. Please, for the love of God, literally for the love of God, practice celibacy. A number of things that I found that helped me through those very difficult um, teenage and young adult years before I got married. A couple of things. One, one, I started to practice when I was about 13 years old. I started the practice of praying for my future spouse. I had a youth director at that time, and uh, our youth directors uh, encouraged us to start praying for our future spouse. Little did I know that there was a girl just down the road in Elk City, Oklahoma, who also had a youth director when she was about 14 or 15 years old that taught her to start praying for her future spouse. My wife and I had been praying for one another since we were early teenagers. Little did we know who that future spouse was, but I'll tell you, it got me out of some very precarious situations. Some situations that I never should have found myself in. Some situations where I had, I, I had, acted, I, I, I had acted very unwisely. I found myself in some situations and had, all, and had a few opportunities uh, to break my celibacy in singleness, but I never did because I was thinking about my future wife. Uh, teenagers, begin, begin that practice. Begin praying for your future spouse. The second thing that I found very helpful, teenagers and young adults, and even older adults as well, uh, I had to, at what I encourage youth groups, whenever I'm around youth groups, I encourage them, uh, you've got to have your mind made up before you get into that situation. You better have your mind made up. And you better have, uh, I'm sorry if this sounds profane, I know that we're live streaming this on Facebook, uh, I'm so sorry about this. I found that to even in your own mind, draw a line on the body and say, I am not going past here. <laughs> um, that and by the way, uh, move that up just a little bit because there's a chance uh, you may, you know, may slip a little bit past that line. Um, but seriously, those, those were the two things, I'll tell you, those were the two things that got me through those very difficult teenage years and college years as well. My wife would say the exact same thing. We're called to practice celibacy in singleness, but we're also called um, to practice um, we're called to practice fidelity in marriage. We're called to practice fidelity in marriage. And the reason, again, the reason for that, the reason for that is because I believe, I believe human sexuality is a deeply, deeply spiritual issue. It's a deeply spiritual issue. Um, I, I, in, in the beginning, as I mean, man, man and woman came together for procreation, but also for bonding. For bonding. And there is, there, I mean, there are a number of things as a pastor I share with a lot of people. I mean, I've, I've shared things today <laughs> with a lot of people uh, today. Uh, I, I share my heart with a lot of people. I have conversations with a lot of people. I, I'm around a lot. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in some real intimate friendships and real intimate 
uh, conversations as well. But there is one thing that I don't share with anyone outside of my wife. And that is what binds us together. It's part of the covenant of this marriage relationship that we have with one another. And when, when, a, when a spouse steps outside of that covenant of marriage, they have broken that covenant. And they have shared the intimacy that is only designed and only makes sense between husband and wife. That's the only way sexual intimacy makes, uh, makes sense. It's only in that marriage covenant. And when it's outside of that marriage covenant, it completely throws everything off. Completely throws everything off. Okay, so I've, I've said a lot of very uncomfortable things uh, today. Um, I, I will, I will, I'll, I'll just simply leave you with this. I'll simply leave you with this. Just as I know that there are um, folks who, have, who are divorced, folks who have um, got divorced for all kinds of different reasons, and just, just as I know that there are others who are, who are here today that have, have made some poor decisions in their lives. By the way, if you are a parent or a grandparent and you have said to yourself, there's no way that I could ever talk with my child or grandchild about this because I made so many mistakes. Let me tell you, uh, when my children were, uh, were learning to drive a car, just because I'd received a, a speeding ticket didn't mean that I shouldn't help teach them how to drive a car. It meant that I had, I mean, I had learned my lessons. I had made some mistakes. I had done some stupid things and driven too fast before. And so it was my responsibility to tell my children, don't speed. I know the consequences of speeding. You see, just because we have... We've made mistakes in our life. Doesn't mean that we that we shouldn't be teaching our children and shouldn't be telling our children uh, 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 what what we believe that God's plan is for their lives. You don't need to go into details. You don't have to. You don't have to go into any of that detail. But you just simply say, you know, I made some mistakes in my life, and here are the here are the things that I've learned from those mistakes. I want I don't I don't want you to make those same those same mistakes. Let me get back to this point. Just like those who have been divorced, those who have, those who have made some mistakes in, in their own sexuality and this gift of sexuality, either not practicing celibacy and singleness or not practicing fidelity in marriage, know this, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Amen? There's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We all need forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Whether we have practiced celibacy and singleness, fidelity in marriage, and, 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 and not been divorced before, we still are in need of God's forgiveness when it comes to our own sexuality. It's confusing. It's difficult. But I know this, that God wants such a better life for us. For each and every one of us, God wants such a a better life for us. He wants us to be whole people, healthy people with, uh, with, a, with, a, with an understanding of human sexuality that's going to be life-giving, not addicting and, 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 and drive us off, steer us off into, a, into one ditch or, or the other. But instead, this is a gift of God. So I stand before you today and affirm yet again Sex is, sex is very good. It is a very good gift of God. When used the way that God had intended it, it's an absolute gift of God. Would you bow with me? God, we thank you.
for this gift of sexuality. God, we thank you for the intimacy that we find between husbands and wives. For some of us here today, we have been carrying around burdens. We've been carrying around memories. We've been carrying around addictions. These things have not drawn us closer to you and closer to our family members, but instead, but instead they have drawn us away. God, for those memories that need to be healed today, for those past relationships that we need to experience forgiveness, for those past attitudes and actions regarding sex, God, we need your love to come upon us. We need your fresh Holy Spirit to cleanse us and make us whole. God, today, may we affirm, may we affirm with Jesus that we want to become one flesh with our mate. We want to we want to become intimate with others, those that you have placed in our care. And we want an intimate relationship with you. Oh God, hear our prayers today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.